Hello, everybody. My name is Daniel Prince, and I am the host of the Once Bitten podcast. This is a podcast focused on Bitcoin. It's my mission to interview as many people as I can around the different aspects of Bitcoin and help people understand exactly what Bitcoin could mean for them and for their families and for their future. I hope you enjoy the show. Thank you so much for listening. Hey guys, welcome to this edition of the Once Bitten podcast and welcoming back to the show, Andy Edstrom, who came on to talk about a lot of climate change FUD. Andy's been trying to sharpen his tools with this exact specific uh, subject and we wanted to get ahead of this narrative that just keeps coming up and up and up again. Bitcoin is bad for the environment and we want to just try and shoot this down as hard and as quickly and as effectively as possible. So this is a show entirely about that. Uh, Of course, Lauren hijacks around the first 10 minutes and has a bit of fun messing around with Andy at my expense. Uh, A quick um, uh, disclaimer that something weird happened with the audio on this one. Uh, I was getting a bad echo from from Andy's side, so I had to use the Zoom the Zoom audio. So it's not as pristine as usual, but please stick with it. It's a great conversation, and you'll get a lot out of it. Before we get into the show, I'm going to shill CoinFloor.co.uk forward slash bitten and SwanBitcoin.com forward slash bitten. Both of these companies, as you probably know by now, are Bitcoin only. You can head there, you can DCA into Bitcoin, start stacking your sats. If you go over to Swan with that code, you'll get a free 10 bucks. If you go over to CoinFloor in the UK with that code, forward slash Bitten, you will uh, save on commission. And both of these companies have your interest at heart with educating you around Bitcoin. Andy, the guest today, is part of the Swan team. You can go ahead and use Andy's link if you would like. Uh, He shills that in the show, so listen out for that. So before we go, go head over to once-bitten.com to check out a little bit more about the show and myself and my book. But uh, I hope you enjoy the show, and I'll catch you after this one with Andy Edstrom. Okay, we are good. We are good to go. Andy, great to have you back on the show, brother. How are you? Pleasure to see you. I'm great. I mean, if you're not having fun and you're in Bitcoin, you know, what are you doing? I don't know. If you're in Bitcoin and you're not having fun, uh, uh, I'm speechless because this <laughs> Something's is the wrong with best you. space. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. This is, the, unless of course you're getting wrecked and then you just haven't listened to all the good advice that, that people like uh, yourself give to others. You know, don't trade, just huddle, DCA, do your thing, nice and slow. This is a long-term plan. Well said, Princey. I couldn't have said it better myself. And Andy's just not allowed to say that because he, he's not allowed to give investment advice unless he gives this whole great big boring speech, which Lauren doesn't want to hear. So Lauren, do you want to say hi to Andy and do you have a surprise question for him? Yeah, but it's nothing to do with your um, thing that you're supposed to say now, but you said I can ask Andy anything. You can ask him anything. So my question is, are you going to the 100k party? <laughs> that is a really great question. Um, yeah, I don't know for sure. I would like to go. It may depend on the timing, in part because I have my third child due in three weeks 
So I'm gonna we're gonna add one to the family. We're not gonna make it, I don't think, quite to the to the size of the of the princey uh, princey family <laughs> over there. We're gonna fall one short, but uh, so it's gonna be pretty wild for me for at least a couple months. And the question will be, you know, when does a party happen? I sort of, I have a feeling that they'll attach it to the Bitcoin 2021 conference in Miami. I mean, after all, that's where Michael Saylor's located and the timing might be pretty good. So if that works out and I'm planning on attending that conference, then I expect to go, but um, we'll have to see. You're going to be at the conference? Yeah, that's the plan. Yeah, plan here as well. For, uh, oh, good man. Over to Miami. Uh, I've got a question for you. Okay, go on. Um, what do we call Andy? Like, like as in my uncle, because we got Uncle Chad. <laughs> right. Uncle. Um, uncle Badders. Yeah, yeah. And this other uncle. Well, look, Bitcoin. We're all Bitcoin is all one big fan. Mm. one huge fan. And you grew up in in Singapore, uh, so like uh, in Asian culture. Anybody that's older than you, you call uncle or auntie in that in that culture. So oh, so Stacey's my auntie. Stacy, <laughs> Stacey Herbert is your auntie. <laughs> yes, <laughs> that's right. Uncle Max and uh, Auntie Stacy, Uncle Andy over here. That's um, yeah, it's uh, that that's the Bitcoin family way. Yeah, and Lauren, you're you're fortunate to be related to to Aunt Stacy. I mean, you know, hard to do better than her to to have in the in the family, right? Mm. All right. So, did you have any more questions? Those, yeah. those were two good ones, by the way. They were not expected at all. Well, now that Princey's definitely coming to, uh, you know, coming to Miami, Princey, if you're coming to the 100K party, then I'll that I'll just definitely have to make it. It's got to happen, man. It's got. And Lauren's coming because she asked Uncle Chad if if kids were allowed. Uh, so, and, and he said, fine, as long as you wear a special wristband that says you can't imbibe alcohol, where is exactly words. Oh, wow. Family affair. Okay. Don't worry. Yeah. I, 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 I won't drink alcohol. Good. Maybe just a well, little. Reason... Maybe just a little. Uh, actually, you were hazing me a little bit before we start recording, Andy. So I, you know, I should give you the mic and, and let you uh, let you have your fun. Before we go, before before you go into the, the conversation. Uh huh. Another question for Daddy: When do you want your beer? When you say uh, when you say goodbye. Okay. But, but, but wait, no, 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 wait, a- Andy, Andy, do you remember what Andy was saying pre-record? And I said you've got to, you've got to, you've yeah. got to keep the hazing for, for the recording. Yeah. Well, let, let's hand uh, Andy the mic. Go for it. Wait, what? What's going on? <laughs> you were telling me you were giving me shit. You were saying, Lauren, why are you still working with this guy? Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Right, right. Of course. <laughs> How could I forget? Yeah, no, I was asking why uh, why Princey's still involved with this whole with this whole production. I mean, Lauren is clearly capable, um, you know, smarter, better looking. Um, you know, what I, I guess I don't I don't understand why uh, Princey hasn't uh, faded into the into the background like Satoshi and uh, quote moved on to better things or other things. You're gonna have to take over the podcast now, Lauren. That means all the booking all the guests. All the pre and post production, all the editing. I miss all my classes. <laughs> it's a full time job. Um. Well, I would love to own that podcast, but the thing is, I'm not ready yet. First of all, I have to do my school. Mm-hmm. Second of all, 
Daddy mostly helps me with them, like with the with the questions. Like when I forget that he like reminds me, so he'll be in the background helping me if I own the the podcast. You're crushing Andy's dreams right now. You do realize this. Thing. <laughs> <laughs> there so was really maybe- Lauren. There really is an opportunity to make this a much better show. You just got to get rid of your dad. So you know, don't don't miss that. Don't miss that opportunity. It's a natural. Maybe, it's like, a natural thing in the in the way of in the flow of life in the way of the universe. You know, eventually our parents uh, fade into the into the sunset. Sometimes they have to be pushed. Um, but you know, you do what you got to do. <laughs> it's a dog eat dog world out there. <laughs> right. Make room for the next generation. Yeah. Maybe when I'm fifteen, I might take it over. Fifteen. All right. right. Okay. Well, that gives me five years. All right. Yeah. They give me five years of doing something I love I before I it's, it's wrestled away from me. Time stamp. Okay. We're, ta- we're time stamping five years. Yeah. Five years, and then I'm taking over the podcast. Good All deal. Right. Good deal. Very okay, good. Okay, it's deal. fair. I'll take it. All right. Now say goodbye, Tony. Go okay, I have, to, I have to go. Bye. <laughs> good to see you, Lauren. Daddy, do you want it in a bottle? Uh, no, in a glass, please. One hundred glass, thank you. Yeah, just a just a. A beer glass would be fantastic. Yeah, that one. Thank you. Um, yeah, it's. Uh, I'm afraid you can't join me, Andy, for uh, to to lift the glass. It's it's a, a perro time here in, in France. We're we're five thirty p.m. So it's yeah, well, only for you have, over there. Though. I do have a a cup of something that I'm drinking, and as far as you know, it's coffee. But you know, who's really to say? Irish coffee. That's exactly what it is. <laughs> <laughs> Your words, not mine. <laughs> right, mate. We wanted to do a a real fudbuster on this one, and it couldn't have been a better timing than what, what was it like two days ago? The Stan Miller came out and it just used some real basic fud of like reasons to not invest into Bitcoin, and he pulled the uh, environment. Uh, no, the small Guinness. Okay. <laughs> and he pulled the environment fud um, out again. And that's, that's the kind of fight that we wanted to focus on because I, I feel that's going to be a big one coming from the mainstream media. Uh, you know, yeah. they want the I, new deals I, all over the place. I agree completely. And um, the good news was our, our, our friend and fearless leader, Elon Musk, came out, you know, the news that Tesla had bought a billion and a half of Bitcoin, that is already causing some environmentalist Tesla owning people's heads to explode. <laughs> right. I think there's bits, yeah. there's bits of, uh, of scalp and skull on walls all over uh, houses in California <laughs> as, uh, as people try to wrap their heads around how this, uh, how clean green Elon can possibly be supporting Bitcoin. And to your yes. point, and to your point, um, I have personally been frustrated with how Bitcoiners have uh, sort of played defense on the environmental FUD. I hear a lot of, I hear a lot of, you know, people on the back foot, right? It's like justification, you know, oh, we think it's mostly mined based on renewable energy, but yes, there's, you know, some dirty coal and gas and stuff, or, well, it's okay that there's energy usage because hard money is valuable. And it's important. And in a global market, you know, we have to spend energy on various things and it has a right to consume energy. No, these are all defensive arguments. 
we need to be we need to be more aggressive. And my perspective is the one that I laid out in this article called Winning Hearts and Minds for Bitcoin that I co-authored with Peter McCormick a month ago in Bitcoin magazine. There's a shill. People should check out the article if they haven't if they haven't read it yet. And um, and so yeah, I I have a more aggressive perspective on how to handle the environmental FUD. All right. Well, I'm looking forward to getting into this then and yeah. um, figuring out where where your mind is taking you. And we did, I, the first time I had you on the show, which seems like so long ago, it was about a year ago, mate, if you can believe that, um, when we wow. first met. And let's show your book. I see your book there, Why Buy Bitcoin by Andy Edstrom. Still one of my, my favorite books in the space, especially for those that might be listening from Wall Street, sitting on trading desks. Um, I think it's a, a perfect bridge for that world into the Bitcoin world. So Andy, brilliant work again on that. Uh, and we did get into a discussion. I asked you right at the end of that, and, and you did a really nice job of um, kind of laying out like the case for Bitcoin and how it is not boiling the oceans. So you've clearly had a year thinking about this and putting together that article that you mentioned as well. So let's talk through it. Let, let's let's figure out what you know. The the, first, the the basic argument is Bitcoin uses too much electricity. It's bad for the environment and it's going to boil the oceans and all of this kind of stuff. So when a Bitcoiner is facing that kind of accusation, what should we be saying? Yeah. So my response now when I get that question <clears throat> is as follows. Um, it's not clear to me how we're going to get to a world of clean, green energy without the adoption of Bitcoin. Okay. I turn it on its head. And <clears throat> here's the framework. Basically, you have, and by the way, you're right. I had forgotten that we had talked about this on our, on our first, uh, you know, our first pod a year ago, because that's about the right framework. I feel like I've been talking about this for about a year and I'm sure other smarter people have been talking about it for longer, but here's the basic framework. And it is, there's, let's say we have a problem and that is global warming. I believe that is a real problem. In other words, it's a problem in the sense that it is causing suffering and economic damage for lots of people in the world, and it probably will continue to get worse. Okay, so let's just accept that at, at face value. So the question is, well, how do you solve it? And with any uh, tragedy of the commons, you know, global type problem, there's two basic uh, ways to approach it. One is carrots and the other is sticks. Carrots are sweeteners, uh, you know, subsidies, basically giving people free stuff or giving them benefits to do the right thing. And then sticks is the opposite. It's punitive measures. It is punishments. It is taxes. It is penalizing people for doing the wrong thing. Let's take the case now back to our friend Elon Musk of Tesla. So Tesla in the United States has benefited from both carrots and sticks. On the sticks side, here in California, there have been state-level limitations on the amount of carbon that a given manufacturer, like a company, you know, GM, Ford, Tesla, anyone else, can uh, can effectively emit via their fleets of cars. So, you know, if GM's going to manufacture and sell eight million cars in a year, then the state of California said, well, on average, your car fleet cannot pollute more than, you know, X 
percent or X number of particulate emissions or carbon emissions per vehicle. So there's limitations. Otherwise you get hit with a penalty. Now on the carrot side, there was a time when every uh, clean, green loving, yuppie Californian who bought a Tesla, you know, $75,000 Tesla, $80,000 Tesla, 10 grand of that purchase price came from the government. <laughs> it was a direct subsidy, and uh, which is amazing. Uh, I mean, Elon has a knack for many things, and certainly one of them is getting governments to pay, pay for his business. So that's been a success as far as it's gone with Tesla, although you know they're still not producing that many cars, but that's kind of the framework that we can think about. Now let's zoom out to the globe and let's talk about who's producing carbon. Um, I always think about the case of the provincial governor in India or Pakistan or Bangladesh who is listening to, I don't know, the UN or some representative from some European country, maybe even America, now that we've got a, a blue sweep, a democratic sweep, right? Um, Biden and crew. And this outside person is saying, look, you know, you can't install this dirty coal plant because it's going to belch too much carbon. And, you know, the, the, I think the reasonable response of the uh, provincial governor is like, I got people living on, you know, three, four or five dollars a day. You're going to make me install this more expensive, you know, solar array plus peaking capacity of clean nat natural gas. Um, did you bring your checkbook? <laughs> Are you going to pay me <laughs> the difference in costs? America, Europe. Um, and by the way, didn't you guys, you know, something like 450 billion tons of carbon have been emitted into the air, you know, since the beginning of civilization. Didn't most of that come from America and the UK and Europe while you guys were industrializing for the past 250 or 300 years? And so unless and until Western countries are actually willing to write trillion dollar checks, um, it just doesn't make, it's just not even a reasonable request to any, to any developing country. And so what really matters is getting the fully loaded cost of clean green energy down low enough so that on an unsubsidized or untaxed, on an uncarroted or unsticked basis, it's actually cheaper. And so, you know, the question is, how does Bitcoin do that? Well, Bitcoin, as we know, is the first global market for energy. There are all these stranded solar and wind assets, you know, in the middle of the Sahara, in the middle of the ocean, various places around the world. And those sit idle because electricity doesn't travel. It doesn't go more than a few hundred miles. Those sources are not near population centers. So they're, so they're useless until Bitcoin. If you have an internet connection, now you can exploit those resources what does that do? It increases sales of solar panels. It increases sales of wind turbines. And increased sales means more revenue for the companies that manufacture those, which funds their research and development, which causes the, you know, causes them to bring down the average cost of those uh, of those resources, solar panels and turbines, which you know brings more stranded energy online because the average cost is lower which causes more revenue, which funds more R&D, and you get this virtuous, virtuous cycle. And moreover, you get this virtuous cycle of traveling down the cost curve faster than you would have in a world without Bitcoin. 
And I'll leave it there, but I want to actually talk in a little more detail about how this is formalized theoretically, because I actually just learned about it very, very recently. But uh, I'll kick it back to you for a sec. Okay. That, that's, yeah, excellent points. Well made. Brilliant stuff. Um, the, I, what kind of kickback would you get from people that um, would point to the fact that there's still a huge amount of fossil fuel and energy that you need to, to build these wind turbines and solar panels? Yes, that's a great uh, Princey, that's a great, you know, counter argument is, as we know, in the production of anything, there's other factors that sometimes we forget to think about. And yeah, you know, that's an issue. I mean, it's true that, quote unquote, fully loaded cost maybe could and should include the uh, energy expended in the manufacturing process of solar panels and turbines. It should be included in the transport cost to get all those things from the manufacturing plant to the location they're going to be deployed in. And yeah, it also includes potentially any other, you know, environmental costs associated with it. I mean, if you have a pristine natural environment and now you're installing a solar farm or a wind farm, that's got to be a net negative, uh, you know, for the ecology probably um, in that location. And so I think that's a fair criticism and those costs do need to be uh, taken into account um, in the long run. I totally agree. But here, here's the thing, like if you're, if you're facing the clean green person that is um, denouncing Bitcoin, they're not even going, they haven't questioned how much fossil fuels and whatever else are being used to go into the, uh, into the making of these things. So it's only a Bitcoiner that actually really tries to delve deep down and look at both sides of the coin. And, you know, it's having these conversations that is so, so fascinating and really kind you know, that they wouldn't bring that up, right? They're already sold on the fact that wind turbines and um, solar panels are already way better. And this is the, the way to go. Uh, so you, you wouldn't even need to go down that route, but it's still good to have in your armory. Uh, yeah. Now, can I, I can I, I interject back... something here as well? Because I think yeah. this gets into the more quantification and formalization of this of this hypothesis or this theory. And so, this what I described, which is um, liberating new sources of energy, which increases unit sales, which funds research and development, which pu pushes us down the cost curve faster. That concept is as old as industry, right? Every engineer worth his salt you know, every business person understands this intuitively. I had not seen it formalized until very recently. So everybody knows uh, Kathy Wood, who runs ARK Invest. ARK Invest is this massively successful uh, investment firm. They have been ahead of the curve on numerous emerging technologies. She has been a huge Tesla bull for years and so obviously her investors have been well paid for that call. And she was also, or their team was also one of the earliest to invest in Bitcoin. Um, I think they bought the Bitcoin trust back in like, I don't know, 2015 or something in their uh, mutual fund, which was, which was quite unusual at the time. And so ARC has published on this concept called rights law. 
And it's named for this guy, Theodore Wright, who was an aerospace engineer like a century ago. He was a pretty big deal. He was an advisor to uh, FDR and various you know, sections of government, uh, you know, I think including during the Depression. And what he formalized was he was looking at, um, he was actually looking at, at airplane manufacturing at the time. And what he observed was that for every doubling of produced airplanes, okay, the labor requirement was reduced by 10 to 15%. Now that's just the labor component of cost, but the concept is, yeah, if you, if you make twice as many of the thing, then the average production cost comes down by, you know, call it 10%. What's really interesting about this is that when you apply it to Moore's law, right? Moore's law is this concept that pretty much everyone is familiar with, which is, uh, which helps explain how the cost of computers and computing devices has come down so rapidly and so significantly over decades. Um, it appears that Moore's law is actually just a special case of Wright's law. And so we have actually this formalization by this you know, brilliant guy from almost a century ago, which I hadn't been aware of, that attempts to quantify um, how quickly down the cost curve we're likely to move for any technology, um, you know, clean energy or otherwise. And of course, there are inflection points and there are tipping points when, you know, things like uh, lithium-ion batteries, you know, were just a little bit too expensive to produce. But then once you got a little bit farther down the cost curve, now you can make them in mass. So it's not it's not clean and it's not linear, but it's the first formalization that I've seen about how this uh, how this concept worked. So uh, works. So I'm actually interested and excited to try and quantify this. I don't know if it's possible. I don't know if I can get the data, but I had a conversation with a guy named John Belzer. He runs a company called Saluna, which does actually what I'm talking about. You know, basically they do installs for wind um, for st otherwise stranded energy assets. And so I'm hopeful that I can, uh, that I can quantify this, uh, you know, with, with his help, but we'll see. Yeah. It's really interesting, mate. And, you know, ties into Jeff Booth's theories as well. Um, the, the price of tomorrow and, uh, you know, deflation technology is going to drive uh, defla deflation, uh, which is a very interesting point. Now, one thing as well that we can also touch on for those people that are looking to bust the FUD is the, the waste gases, right? And uh, companies that are out there, uh, like Steve Barber's company that are plugging mining rigs into uh, to, you know, suck out the, the flared gases, the, the byproduct of, of drilling and turn that into energy. Could you just tell people what's going on there? Yeah, absolutely. So this is apropos right now, because believe it or not, I had a conversation with a company, one of these companies that's doing exactly this uh, yesterday morning. Because <laughs> I'm Feel keen free to, to show. About... <laughs> yeah, no. Yeah, it was just a free, uh, it was a first intro, so I probably won't name them at this point. But um but yeah, I'm keenly interested in this. Okay, so yeah, what's going on is in the U.S. especially, but it's true around the world, we had this revolution known as horizontal drilling and fracturing, known as fracking. And we've got all these shale formations, which had been considered exhausted resources. You know, they'd, they'd already been drilled, uh, places like North Dakota, places like Pennsylvania, places like Texas. And clever entrepreneurs figured out ways to squeeze more oil and gas out of these rock formations um, using various, you know, interesting new technologies. Uh, 
So there was this boom in oil and gas production in the last decade in the United States. Um, and what one of the interesting results of this was that there was so much gas, okay? Because wherever you find oil, basically you find gas. And the oil is really the high value stuff. But there was so much gas that came online along with the oil production, which is what these guys really wanted because that's the high value uh, commodity, that it was just, you know, basically it was coming out of their ears, right? Too much gas around. And what are you supposed to do with that gas when it's far away from a gas pipeline or when the gas price is quite low, which it has been, you know, on and off for years now, is it's basically uh, a wasted, you know, worthless asset. The worst thing you can do is let it out into the environment. Um, that's called venting. And that is, in terms of global warming, that's the worst because that is methane gas. And methane gas is like 30 or 40 times worse than CO2 um, on a per unit basis in terms of its warming effect uh, for the environment in the long run. So that's the worst. Um, what you're supposed to do is you're supposed to flare it. So you're supposed to burn it, which effectively more or less converts the methane into CO2. So still you get CO2, you know, uh, released into the atmosphere as it's getting flared, but at least that's better than the methane in terms of its environmental effect. Now, yes, what these guys, um, what Steve Barber and uh, others in the industry have done is they figured out, oh, why don't we just move mobile skids? These are basically, they're like shipping containers. They're smaller than that, full of Bitcoin miners place them next to these wells that are otherwise wasting this gas and run the energy through the mining. That way, there's an number one, there's an incentive to use that gas rather than just release it into the atmosphere. And number two, uh, you know, you get more Bitcoin mining. So basically, everybody, everybody wins. And to be very specific about this, this is the claim from these guys that I talked to yesterday. I don't know if it's true. What they claim is, <clears throat> we talked about venting uh, methane, that's the worst of it. So if you're flaring, then at least you're mostly turning into CO2. What they claim, though, is if you use it to mine Bitcoin, you actually reduce the CO2 production versus the flaring. So in other words, there's, a, there's, a, there's an increase in efficiency. There's an increase in greenness or reduction in CO2 emission of close to 40% if you're actually using it and capturing it to mine Bitcoin. So that is actually a net benefit, uh, a significant environmental net benefit of this, uh, you know, of these mobile Bitcoin mining units that are moved to otherwise wasted uh, gas at wellheads, you know, throughout the US. It's crazy, mate. Like that, this <laughs> is Bitcoin cleaning the air. It's you really know? true. You framed it much more simply and uh, succinctly than I did. <laughs> Bitcoin is cleaning the air. And, you know, at what point does oil and gas become a byproduct for that company if they're, if they're mining Bitcoin, right? You know, Bitcoin will become their business model revenue, potentially, if they're, um, if they're winning the blocks. Yeah. It's and of course it's great for the Bitcoin network because you know we, we have a much more decentralized network and, and more nodes coming online and it's again it blows your mind the incentive structure around Bitcoin just urges good behavior and um, aligns 
people's incentives in a, in a, in a good way, in an ethical way. Let me, uh, let me throw another piece in the mix and credit to the gentleman that I spoke with yesterday. Um, what one of them pointed out was, think about valuations, think about the stock market. Today, at the moment, take a look at the valuations of mining companies, right, that trade in the U.S. You know, I hate to name names. I mean, like, you know, Riot Blockchain is the one probably that people think of. But these stocks have gone bananas. Okay. And so compare the valuations of those to the valuations on oil and gas producers, which have recovered somewhat, but basically they're still in the toilet. Imagine you're a CEO of a you know, mid-size uh, E&P company, you know, producer of oil and gas, maybe in Texas, and you're valued at you know, some tiny multiple of the earnings uh, that you produce or that you are expected to produce in the future. Because people have looked at your industry as basically dead, at least you know, a lot of investors now do, especially because of the ESG movement. And now you realized, oh, <clears throat> what if I vertically integrate myself, right? I'm already pulling the gas out of the ground. What if I throw you know, a mining operation on top of that? What if the market now values me as a Bitcoin mining operation? <laughs> you could, you could, you know, the, the disparity in the valuation multiples between mining operations today and energy producers is enormous. So it's going to be interesting to see how that plays out. It's going to be interesting to see how much vertical integration we get up the value stack from, you know, drilling to developing the well, yeah, to uh, installing the mining capacity, you know, even to the sourcing of the of the miners themselves. That's a that's a whole other topic, but uh, it's it's fascinating and it's going to play out in the next you know couple of years. It is crazy, mate, and it's so it's so amazing to be able to watch this this play out. And to your point, you know, this CEO that um, is sitting there thinking about this, all the information is at his fingertips. All you've got to do is look at MicroStrategy. All you've got to do is look at Marathon. All you've got to do is look at GBTC and whoever else, Square, whoever else, and Tesla, obviously, over the next couple of weeks, you can watch that closely. I mean, look what happened to MicroStrategy. You know, it's... it's, it's $1,200 stock, $1,300 stock. I was realizing that, you know, the trade of... The trade of the century that I missed personally was buying calls on MicroStrategy, you know, after the after the first announcement. I mean, you know, I'm kicking myself, especially having sort of foreseen that they might borrow money and do a bond deal, you know, to buy more uh, to buy more Bitcoin. Like I should have <laughs> I should have taken that opportunity to buy to buy some leverage on the upside on MicroStrategy stock, and I wish I had. Well, I'm sure you're buying calls on a few. Uh, are you punting some of this around? Are you buying calls on like Square or Apple or Microsoft trying to pick the next one or are you just going to wait? I'm not, Princey. Um, I think that, yeah, I'm basically long Bitcoin. And for me on a risk adjusted basis, you know, I don't have to get the timing right. Plus yeah. there's tax considerations, right? I mean, I, you know, anytime you're, of course. yeah. So no, I'm not. Maybe I should be. I'd probably be making more money. <laughs> <laughs> Who wants money? We want sats. <laughs> yeah, the good kind of money. <laughs> yeah, exactly. The hard money, the real money, not the dirty let's, fiat. Let's, let's talk about them. We've talked about how Bitcoin can uh, be seen as green tech and driving down the cost of, of all of these um, uh, uh, alternative 
um, power um, structures forces, such renewable as, energy. Renewable energy, yeah, forces. And uh, what one one thing that we did talk about before, and I'm sorry for those listeners that might have already heard it, but it's like the, the cost of fear. You know that. I don't think anybody really understands that. And if you're stood in front of um, a granny that is giving you the usual thought about Bitcoin's going to boil the oceans, have they ever considered the real cost of fear and that whole line of how much it actually costs to back fear up? Yeah, I'm quite sure that most don't think about it. And, you know, people have done decent analyses, um, actually pretty good analyses, you know, whether it's the printing costs or it's the uh, energy costs of, you know, heating and cooling all those bank branches, or it's the transportation costs of the armored trucks that move the cash around, you know, or it's the energy costs of all the cloud computing capacity, you know, that's, that's used to support these, uh, these banking systems, these financial systems. And then, of course, there's the the big daddy, which is the, you know, the governmental military backing, um, especially for the U.S. dollar. So, yeah, and that's the big one. I mean, if the U.S. military budget is, I don't know, $750 billion annually, roughly speaking, give or take a few tens of billions here and there, <laughs> um, you know, is that uh, what is the fully loaded cost there? I mean, it's enormous. Um, so. And the irony of that too, here's the true irony of that. There's this concept, which I think was put forth by, I think it was a French, I think people talk about de Gaulle saying it, but I don't think it was. I think it was his, uh, maybe his finance minister. And it, it's the exorbitant privilege, right? America has this quote unquote, exorbitant privilege of printing the world's reserve currency. Well, I got bad news for people. Um, it's not a privilege, it's a burden, right? Exporting dollars leads you to Dutch disease. This is a concept Nick Carter has talked about. Um, and the, the origin of that actually is, is ironically from oil and gas production in the Netherlands. And basically what happens, the concept is if you have a, if a country starts producing in large volume a valuable commodity, that causes the value of its currency to go up which causes its exporters in other industries to be less competitive exporting to the global market. So, you know, if you were, I don't know, a dairy, you know, farmer in the Netherlands and the Dutch Gilder, you know, doubled in terms of its, uh, if its FX rate, its exchange rate, a topic near and dear to your heart, Princey, um, you know, then all of a sudden he can't, you know, basically he can't, his product that he's trying to export to the rest of Europe, you know, is double the price. So nobody will buy it. It's even simpler with the, with the money because the money is the overpriced product. So what has happened in the US is the dollar is over demanded globally, which means it's artificially propped up, which means that US exporters can't compete on the global market, which means that manufacturing goes away. Does this sound familiar? This is the story of the US, you know, the last couple decades. And then you get large segments of the country whose economies are gutted you get populism, you get Donald Trump, you get, you know, you get all these negative side effects of having an overvalued currency. And so at least in the classic cases of Dutch disease, you know, that, that extra benefit is, is flowing into the, 
you know, the, the one exporting industry. If it's flowing into the government, though, you know, now it's in the hands, you know, the quote unquote benefit is in the hands of this large monolith that is the least efficient allocator of capital possible. And so, yeah, it's a, it's not a net benefit. It's not an exorbitant privilege. It's an exorbitant burden. It may have been a privilege much earlier in the process. I could see that argument. And certainly I was taught that, that issuing the reserve currency is a privilege, but I see it now as the opposite. And for details on that, I highly recommend people read this book by Michael Pettis and Matthew C. Klein called Trade Wars or Class Wars. It helps lay out, uh, you know, lay out the case for this. Trade wars or class wars, yeah. Trade okay. wars are class wars. Trade wars oh, are class wars. wars. Right. Yep. Okay. I'll make uh, I'll make a note of that. I've not I've not heard of that one before. Uh, so yeah, very very cool. Um, all right, man. I, I took us on a tangent there. I'm not even sure I answered your uh, your question, but. Uh, no, no, you, you, yeah, you, you definitely did take us on a tangent, but that that would that came from the cost of fear, so that's yeah, of course, that's a straight line. We're, we're, oh yeah, so I didn't, I didn't, I didn't really answer your <laughs> your original question. <laughs> um, were you, oh no, was it cost, cost of fear? fear in, in, yeah, yeah. In, sorry, the cost of fear environmentally. So if we if we're using uh, environment to environment, uh, okay, uh, kind of yes. So um, you know, what is the the, the net cost to the environment to, right. to keep producing fear. Uh, you, yeah. you did touch on it. Um, but didn't I didn't deep. delve deep though. I mean, there's the first <laughs> order, there's the first order obvious stuff, which is like, okay, U.S. military, you know, supports dollar hegemony and the U.S. military, you know, has lots of vehicles that belch out, you know, huge amounts of, of uh, CO2, you know, gasoline, diesel powered, you know, naval ships, you know, they, they pollute the oceans, et cetera, et cetera. However, you know, now you mentioned De Jeff Booth earlier, and, and in that vein, there is the question of, yeah, how much excess consumption is fueled by having a fiat-based monetary system, by lowering interest rates, by inducing people to borrow more and consume more than they already would because their time preference is totally screwed up because there's no benefit, right, to saving money in the bank because you get no interest, so you might as well spend it today. That's like unquantifiable, but we know that it is that it is huge. We know that the level of consumption uh, has got to be higher than it already, or than it otherwise would be. And I wish I knew the counterfactual on that and how to quantify it, but, uh, but I don't. It's such a true point. And I've heard Knuts von Holm talk about this before. The, the, the biggest thing driving global warming, whatever you want to call it, uh, um, environment change, is consumerism. And look at that. What? Okay, if, it, if, if we can all agree, and I've heard so many people talk about it, you know, one-use plastic, uh, uh, fast fashion that gets, um, you know, pulled out all the time, you know, we, that's just so damaging to the planet. And um, what's, another, what's another great one? Uh, Plastic, uh, you know, plastic everything. <laughs> yeah, 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 plastic everything. Um, I'm blanking on them now, but, um, you know, you've got like the top three and we all agree that's consumerism that's driving that. And yeah, no, all I of those goods need to be transported, right? So we all know that something bad is going on, whether that's getting transported by sea or air or by road. And 
what drives consumerism. Bitcoin is understand what drives consumerism. Yeah, let's and drill down. Let's let's drill down on one of those. You know, you talked about transport costs for goods and services. So back to what we we're talking about with the dollar being artificial, artificially propped up and overvalued. So what happened when when China joined the World Trade Organization, the WTO, in 2001, 20 years ago, um, the dollar was overvalued, and now they could export to the U.S. So instead of making stuff in the U.S near where the consumers are, <laughs> now that we're making stuff on the other side of the world and shipping it across the ocean, right? All these container ships um, cruising around, belching uh, toxic goo into the ocean and belching CO2 into the atmosphere. Um, that can't be efficient from an environmental perspective. It's always more efficient, all else equal, to have the production capacity next to or close to the consumption so that you minimize uh, the transport cost. And yeah, transport is actually one of the largest producers of um, greenhouse gases. Um, the shipping industry is, is notorious uh, for that. And um, that's a major factor, uh, no doubt, from the way that trade policy has shaped up over the past couple decades. And free money drives consumerism. Amen. I had a personal case of this recently. You know, I got that third kid on the way and my wife was like, we need a bigger car. Can't fit three car seats, you know, in the car we've got, got to buy a minivan. And, uh, you know, that minivan cost me at the time more, more than a Bitcoin. And, um, that's painful, man. I, I I'm, was, uh, I'm sitting here speechless. I know exactly how you feel. Oh man, I, I had the same thing happen October. Our, our family car broke down. It was a 23 year old Land Cruiser. Oh, nice. I did replace it with a 20 year old Land Cruiser. So we've upgraded a little bit, but uh, that was only, that was only 4,000 euros. My wife's like, you tight motherfucker. Can you not just buy a more like comfortable and uh, relevant car than something that's 20 years old. I'm like, no way, no way. So to, you asked me in two years. You tightwad son of a bitch, Princey. <laughs> it's those sats, baby. It's those sats. You can't, you can't let go of those sats. I love, uh, I love that you bought an old Land Cruiser. By the way, my first car was my parents' 1984 Land Cruiser. Um, that would be a beauty right now. You'd get some nice sats for that. Believe it or not, they still have it. It's sitting no. in the it's sitting in the driveway. It hasn't moved in years. Uh, they've actually tried to donate it, but they haven't been able to because in order to donate it, you have to get it to the curb, <laughs> it's, <laughs> and it's not currently moving. So you know, could they could they get a mechanic over? Could they tow it? Yeah, I don't think they've gotten around to it, but. Uh, yeah, the beast. We used to call it. We used to call it the blue beast. It's a. Uh, it's. Blue. You're kidding me. That was the exact the exact name for our car, the beast. Oh man, love it. And it was. It's yeah, a hell of a car. It, my credit to credit to my parents, okay, for putting me in that car because, as you know, one thing about that car is it has only four forward gears, and it redlines the engine at about eighty-seven miles an hour. <laughs> so. Perfect car for a teenager 
because I literally couldn't drive it. You know, I, I literally couldn't go a hundred miles an hour if I wanted to. <laughs> so, you know, safety, uh, safety there, deterrence from a stupid uh, teenage boy driving behavior. And uh, yeah, but that was a, it's a great car. Cool, man. I'm sure that there might be some Bitcoiners li listening to this thinking, I, I'm going to go get that from Andy's parents and do that thing. <laughs> that's going to be my, that's going to be my Citadel runaround. Yeah, exactly. It's your escape vehicle. You know, if God forbid, you know, borders close and you got to, you know, you got to off road, you got to get where you got to go, man. That's, uh, that's right. That's what you got to, that's what you got to consider. Absolutely. Well, have we busted all the environmental FUD? Is there anything else that you wanted to uh, touch on there? I think I think that's good. I mean, look, our you know Elon Elon gave us a real helping hand recently. I mean, like I say, there's at least maybe I'm hopeful that at least hardcore environmentalists will scratch their heads and say, you know, how does this compute? You know, what does this guy know that I don't? Which I'm hopeful will make the argument easier but i'm not assuming it <laughs> like you i am still expecting an onslaught of environmental fud and you know i'm still getting better at, at articulating this stuff i mean the concept mm. of of uh, of rights law and pushing um, clean green energy down the cost curve at an accelerated rate is not a sound bite that you can you know that you can articulate in five or ten seconds it just isn't so it'll take some time, and maybe it's uh, maybe it's a lost cause. Maybe it's too complicated a concept, but that's not going to stop me from uh, from trying to uh, to convince people of it. We'll see if it works. And the other thing about Elon is, like, you know, where do you think he is net net on the amount of CO two he puts into the atmosphere with every rocket launch? Yeah, well, the, the rocket business is dirty. <laughs> There's no question about that. <laughs> I'm sure that's not on pure ethanol. I, I'm, you know, I'm just guessing. I'm throwing that out there. I don't think that is. Uh, so yeah. There's no, yeah. there's no doubt that that he has clean businesses and he has dirty businesses, and he is really good at spinning and explaining and pitching. Uh, so yeah, but look, I'm, I'm just glad he's now in our corner and i look forward to seeing who else is gonna is gonna roll in with uh, allocating some bitcoin onto their corporate balance sheets it's going to be an interesting few months here as the financial filings come out how many do you protect for this well let's do it how many how many announcements do you think q1 q2 q3 and q4 oh man i wish i i wish i knew I still don't know what the materiality threshold is. One of my clients is a former corporate treasurer. He was corporate treasurer at a Fortune 50 company or Fortune 100 company, big, big company. And I asked him this question and his recollection was there's no hard rule. In other words, there's no rule that says, oh, if you put more than 1% of your corporate treasury in something other than dollars or, or fiat, you know, then you have to specifically disclose it. So, you know, I suspect there'll be some out there. Well, for everyone that announces, there may be several that don't announce, but but sneaked it in uh, on the sly. Mm. But uh, yeah, I don't know, some, some numbers. I think a few, maybe, I think a few more for this uh, reporting cycle. We're still in, in Q4 reporting, right? There's still companies that they've got a few days still to come out in their filings. So I would say more than, 
hopefully more than one, then maybe, yeah, maybe it's 10 or a dozen the next time. By Q3, if the price does what we think it's going to do, then it could be significantly larger numbers. It could be dozens. Um, we'll have to see. And then this, you know, the, the point I like to make now at, at this point, if we, if we reach that, if we get to Q3 and we've got scores of companies announcing that they're putting Bitcoin on their treasury, government are not shutting down Bitcoin because if no they way. shut down Bitcoin, they tank the stock market. And yeah. we all know very well that no president ever wants to tank the stock market. They actually want it to go the other way. So this is perfect, perfect game theory. It is. It is perfect game theory. I'm actually embarrassed personally that I didn't foresee the corporate treasury vector as being a major vector for adoption. Um, but yeah, in hindsight, it's, it's genius, right? It's brilliant. And um, yeah, I personally believe that we're already past the point of, you know, of, of significant risk of prohibition. Um, but I agree with you, the more companies that come in and the more stock value that's at risk, because the stock market is effectively a public utility now. Um, bear markets are illegal. If we have a sustained bear market, <clears throat> we're going to have a sizable recession, and that can't happen. Um, uh, the man behind the curtain will not allow that to happen. So, um, and, and yeah, state pension funds as well, right? State pension funds, if they're holding these companies like MicroStrategy, let, let's just assume there's more than one or two state pension funds that are holding MicroStrategy on their um, on their balance sheet. No, like, come on, are you gonna, are you gonna bankrupt states as, as well as like uh, send that it's, oh man, it's, it's so bullish. It's beyond bullish. And uh, I can't want the smile off my face, basically, as you can see. <laughs> I couldn't agree more. I couldn't agree more, Princey. You've, uh, a lot of people smiling in Bitcoin and I think, and expect there's gonna be plenty of smiles uh, for the rest of us, you know, through the year here in 2021. Sure, man. Well, what do you think uh, we should close out on? If uh, if we've got all the all the fun out of the way, anything you want to uh, discuss before we sign off? I don't think so. The usual shills, but that's about it. Well, shill. <laughs> all right. Why buy Bitcoin? Investing today in the money of tomorrow. Amazon. Oh, I just got my one hundredth review on Amazon. So that was nice. Cool. Um, somebody seems to like the book out there. Um, yeah. Swanbitcoin.com forward slash Andy, or you can use Princey's, uh, you can use Princey's <laughs> code. That's fine too. And then obviously follow me on Twitter. Edstrom Andrew is the handle. And if you want to see more of my pods, including the prior Princey one, I mean, obviously you can, you can get it direct, but I have them on my website too. Andy Edstrom.com. And the audio version of the book, Andy, I think you've been uh, busy. Yes, the audio version of the book is well in production, and I'm not going to give any specifics on that. But um, you know, cr fingers crossed, uh, it'll happen. You know, before too long here. But on the other hand, I said that in September, <laughs> so I'm, so don't don't hold your breath, people. <laughs> I, your breath. I'm in. 
I'm in the same boat. I keep promising myself I'm going to get it done and, and do my own audio version of my book. Uh, but <sighs> you should, you should. Pods get you in should. the way. Yeah, it's it's one of those things that, especially if you decide to narrate it yourself, which was the decision I made. Yeah, it's a it's a time commitment. Um, it is a time commitment. Now, the good yeah. news is it's possible to get yourself set up to do it at home, right? There was a time mm -hmm. when you actually literally had to go to a recording studio, you know, a couple days in a row and talk for hours and hours and, you know, until you're hoarse. Um, now you can get yourself set up at, at home if you're if you're careful about it. You of all people as a as a podcaster should be able to to handle yeah. that. But, well, um, I but don't, yeah, it's a, it's a commitment. It's a lot of work. I don't know how Guy Swan does it. Big shout out for Guy Swan. What a uh, what an incredible asset to the space. Yeah, guys, guy is the man, and uh, he offered to do mine, and I I turned him down for personal reasons. You know, my my mom uh, has neural degeneration, and I'd like her to hear my my voice on it, and I think she would too. But um, uh, and she can't read a physical book, but um. Yeah, he is. He is awesome. I was actually on Clubhouse with him a couple nights ago in a group, and uh, he was uh, he was killing it, man. He's he's great at answering questions from noobs and uh, and experts alike. So hats off to Guy. Well, do you, do you have any quotes in your book? Maybe Guy could do the quotes for you because his. Whenever <laughs> I listen, whenever I listen to Guy, I'm like thinking. Please, someone put a quote in this piece because I love it when he tries to do the German accent or the British accent. The, the British US accent. Accents. I love the British accent. <laughs> it's love, so good. My favorite right. is the is the British female, uh, the British female version that he does sometimes. <laughs> I've not heard that yet. It's a little higher pitched. It's a little higher pitched. Right. <laughs> love it. Classic. All right, Andy, we'll end it here, and uh, I look forward to doing uh, another show with you again soon, man. Appreciate oh man, always, always a blast, uh, Princey. Appreciate it. Hey guys, thank you for listening to that one with Andy Edstrom. Great to have Andy back on the show. I always look forward to our discussions and I will be having him back on again, of course, this year at some stage. So stay tuned for that. Apologies again for my audio. I'm really not sure exactly what went wrong there. I'm thinking perhaps my microphone was not plugged in correctly my side, but... Uh, I will be um, watching out for that uh, in future episodes. Uh, apologies if this one wasn't up to its usual standards and uh, apologies, Andy, uh, that I wasn't um, able to, to catch that when we, were, when we were chatting there. So I hope you guys enjoyed that one and you've got now a little bit more uh, ammunition to come back with people when they start talking about the, the fud around how bad for the environment Bitcoin is, which we all know is complete and utter nonsense. Andy and others are doing a lot of work in the space to just completely crash down this, this narrative because it is just a narrative and these same stories just keep getting circulated and it's, it's tough when, you, when you've got people like Andy and others that are trying to educate people around this and this same FUD just keeps coming up, it discredits all of their work and it's just very annoying. So when you do see positive articles and uh, listen to podcasts like this and others that are bringing uh, this uh, uh, subject to people's attention, please share them around and, and let's try and fight the mainstream media together. With that, 
Make sure you check out the next show. And of course, if you're in the UK, head over to coinfloor.co.uk forward slash bitten. And if you are in the US, it's swanbitcoin.com forward slash bitten. Go start stacking your sats. Let's look forward to the ball. See you guys. Bye-bye.